This is the Church Planting Podcast, brought to you by the Broadcast Network. Broadcast exists to support, train and encourage church planters. For more information about who we are or about the training that we offer, please visit our website at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org. Hello and welcome to episode 95 of the Broadcast Church Planting Podcast. At Broadcast, we recently had a hangout with Mark Landreth-Smith, where he was talking about Sunday meetings in a church plant. In this episode of the podcast, we're bringing you the recording of that hangout. You can find the full notes on everything that Mark said at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org slash episode 95. So here is Mark Landreth-Smith. So let's talk about Sunday morning meetings and the Sunday morning meeting in a church plant particularly and in a small church or a growing church so the first question i'm going to ask you is what is your meeting for that's what you need to decide first what is your meeting for i'll put it another way who is the sunday morning meeting for because that's the critical question because in answering or how you and how you and your leadership team answer that question will determine how you do everything else and how you run the Sunday. For instance, if your Sunday morning meeting is for unchurched Harry and unchurched Emma, you might do things very differently. So here's a picture of him. So you might do things very differently than if your Sunday morning meetings are for God. If your Sunday morning meetings are for God, and for the people of God to meet with God, then how you structure the meetings, the way you conduct yourselves, the atmosphere that you create, the things that you say, the songs that you sing, how you preach, what you preach, the response you elicit from your preach is very different from if you're wanting your Sunday morning meetings to be particularly for unchurched Harry and unchurched Emma. For us in the New Frontiers world and the New Frontiers family of churches, we're going for the second, which means that for us, we place a high value on the Sunday morning meeting being for God. It's a place for the people of God to meet with him. It's a place for the people of God to worship him. It's a place for the people of God to sit under the preaching of the word of God for there sometimes to be a response. And so... The material that I'll be using this evening is mostly in that context. However, we also want to be very sensitive to the visitor, which I'll come on to in just a little while. So let's just kind of think through then what the Sunday morning meeting might look like. The Sunday morning meeting begins with your welcome. How are you going to welcome people? The welcome starts right here. This is where the welcome starts. It starts in the car park. It doesn't start in the building. It starts in the car park. Even when you're small, if you're able to have somebody outside, have have somebody in the car park, if you've got the luxury of having a car park warm and friendly, thank you very much for coming to join us this morning. We're so glad that you've come out on a Sunday morning. Uh, Do you know where to go? Uh, My name is Mark. I'm part of the welcome team this morning. Thanks again for coming. So you've got someone warm and friendly who's able to not just direct traffic, but direct people. That would be really great. I've made a couple of mistakes on that just a few weeks ago. 
asked somebody to go on car parking duty. I went to see how he was doing. And unfortunately, he was very gruff with people. You can't park there. No, I'm sorry. Move over there. And it was all a bit kind of embarrassing, really, and I had to kind of um, smooth things over a bit. So have someone warm and friendly. The welcome starts outside. In fact, I've learned a lot of things about welcome through through Colin. I can remember on the second church plant, that was the one into Camberley, asking Colin, Colin, uh, what's the most important thing? What should I be doing? And he was really, really helpful in talking about the the welcome and uh, you will have seen his paper earlier this month as well on broadcast where he's talking about the welcome where he talks about having good coffee I brought some good coffee here especially for Colin and those of you who really like coffee I've um, also brought some um, also got some cakes keep calm keep calm and eat cake I think you can just about see that I've, um, I've got some Kit Kats in there I've got some I've got some uh, cherry bakewells in there and some other cakes cakes are good good tea and coffee good cake a nice ambience maybe some nice uh, gentle music playing in the background warm if you can and your welcome team make sure that they are warm friendly and engaging without being intrusive some people want to be chatted to some people want to give their details some people don't some people are just coming to have a look and particularly when you're in the church planting situation i found this a lot here in in newbury you you do have quite a revolving door so you have people coming to have a look just coming to check you out they make them next week they might they might come a few weeks and then they, they don't like you or they don't like the style or some of your values but that's okay but beware of the revolving door and don't be too defensive or sensitive about the about the revolving door be welcoming anyway and then and then let's move on to what the the room layout might look like so we've had the welcome from the car park to the front door to the tea and the coffee and the cake what about the room layout then for a church plant or for a new church plant Again, I am an aficionado of the Colin Barron School of Church Planting. Colin was always very good with me saying you want to create an intimate family atmosphere, you're creating community. So make sure that your layout is an informal one. So in other words, avoid the theatre style where they're just kind of rows or facing forward. If you can, um, certainly while you're a small number, don't be afraid to experiment, don't be afraid to be in a circle even a kind of crescent shape if it's important for people to see the screen. But um, try, try if you can to avoid the kind of theatre style or the cathedral style as it's sometimes called so that there is a relaxed feel. And also that there's, there's space for people. There's, there's space for the buggy. There's space for the children. There's, there's space for the guide dog. There's space for the wheelchair. There's, there's space to move around a little bit so that people don't feel squished. And that they um, feel relaxed in their kind of environment around them as well. It's great also if the place can be warm. I know that's not always the case with rented facility. I think I, I've lost count the number of times now on a Sunday morning meeting in the schools or in halls where the heating hasn't been on. We've had to be creative about carrying around extra blowers with us or blankets with us just to try and keep the place warm. I'm sad to say particularly some of the older people uh, when I was in Camberley, when we were in a larger hall, that the heating was temperamental. Let's just say that some of the older folk did leave and go to other churches because they just felt cold in the winter time. So 
if you can, pay attention to warmth and be prepared during the cold winter months just to provide some extra heating with plug-in stuff or even gas stuff if you can. So there we've had the welcome and we've had the layout. So let's talk a little bit more then about, about the meeting itself. So let's talk about the worship. Again, as Colin taught me, when you're starting out, don't go for the big band. You don't need to have six people at the front, full band, and there's only 20 people. To have just one person on guitar is absolutely fine, or one person on keyboard is absolutely fine. In terms of the worship, again, make sure there's a good sound. Make sure, if you can, that it's a, it's a good musician who has practiced the songs. Make sure the, the words are clear on a, on a well-lit screen. Initially, you might find that you might, you might want to check what the songs are and check some of the content of the songs, the range of songs. Go through perhaps with the worship leader, the length of time, the kind of clear expectations of the length of worship time. Or is it like Colin would do kind of two songs and then a break and then some more worship? Or, or are you going to go for the kind of 30 or 40 minutes and then the preach? Is there going to be a song at the end? And then let's talk a little bit about expectation during during the worship time. For us as New Frontiers Churches, we place a very high, a very high value on, on the place of the Holy Spirit during the worship time. So in other words, let's be let's be very open to, to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. This is a candle just to kind of signify the Holy Spirit, just so you might get bored of looking at me. So let's create an atmosphere of faith and an ex and an, an atmosphere of expectation, expectation of the the gifts of the Holy Spirit that ties in very much with worship. In other words, help your worship leader to be open to and expectant for the interventions of the Holy Spirit. Let's help our worship leaders not to be afraid of silence, not to be afraid of pausing, because sometimes people just just need a bit of time, don't they, to gather their thoughts or to read that scripture or to bring that prophetic word or to share that picture or even to bring out public tongue and for us as new frontiers churches participation is a very very high value for us we don't just want it to be a front-led thing we want there to be real engagement of, of the people of the body so if necessary early on um, let's teach about the gifts of the holy spirit in fact in my in my first church plant in my first year i asked colin what should I do? And he gave me some really great advice. He said, Mark, in your first year, work through the book of Acts slowly, drink plenty of coffee and pray and see what God does. So I did that in my first church plant and, and I've done that in my second church plant. I've done that in my third church plant. I thought that was really, really good advice. And of course, when you do that, something like the book of Acts brings the Holy Spirit up close. Chapter one, boom, the Holy Spirit is there. So let's please create an atmosphere where the Holy Spirit is, is very welcome, where there's room for the Holy Spirit. Don't be, don't be afraid of the Holy Spirit. Don't be afraid to take some risks. Allow people opportunity to have a go, even if they don't necessarily get it, get it right the first time. We've all heard some kind of clangers or kind of some mistakes. I, I remember one prophetic word where the guy said, in all sincerity, the Lord says, just as Noah led the children of Israel through the desert, so I will be with you, my children. And I was kind of thinking, Noah, 
children of Israel, uh, uh, no, that's not right. And then after a little while, he got up again. He got up again and said, the Lord says, I, I made a mistake. It wasn't Noah, it was Moses. So it's kind of polite kind of chortle about that. But you will, if you allow the Holy Spirit to move, there will be sometimes a little bit of holy chaos. Now, that's where the next thing comes really, really into play. And that's, and that's the role of the anchor. So, so here is my anchor. And uh, the role of the anchor is, is really important. What does an anchor do? And an anchor brings some stability. And just as some, an anchor will do that to a ship, so the role of the anchor or the person that leads the meeting, if you like, is really important. So make sure your anchor, your anchor person, your, your man or your woman who's, who's looking after the meeting is smart, presentable, personable, engaging, and explaining what's going on as well because sometimes we must remember that culturally some things might happen in our meetings that are just a bit unusual to people the whole kind of thing might be strange to people um, recently I went to a meeting at my at my local mosque that I was invited to and uh, it was very strange it was very very strange everything was strange for me in terms of where I was sitting the men on one side the women on the other the thing that's happened at the front the things that came up on the screen but it was really good for me because I thought this is this must be what it's like for people coming to my church who are not used to coming to church it's a very strange environment so the person who is leading the meeting or the person who is anchor has a really really critical role in helping people feel relaxed, helping them feel at home, explaining what is going to happen, even simple things about timings, how long things are going to go on for. I mean, I know Colin's very strict about his kind of 80 minute kind of rule, even things like that just kind of help people. Oh, how long am I going to be here for? How, how long are you going to sing for? How long, how long is this preach going to go on for? Where, where are the loos? Uh, where do my children go? Is it, is it okay to blow my nose? So the role of the anchor is really, really important in that regard. And make sure the anchor too is informed. So the anchor knows when it comes to the notices to be brief, cast vision and faith for those notices as well, but not to go on and on and on. So the role of the anchor is, is really important in our kind of style of churches. Now we're going to throw out something else for you just to kind of think about, because what I found really helpful whilst planting a church and starting out is what I call my story and so my story is something that we do most weeks and it is a short testimony from somebody in the church their story a little bit about their journey with God and how they've come to be where they are and we found that to be really really helpful really powerful in hearing about people's testimony how God has met them how they've come to Christ how they've come to this church but also it genuinely builds community as well because people get to know one another. They're not just getting to know the person with the guitar or the person that's speaking. They're getting to know someone else in their new congregation, in the new church. And so my story has proven to be really, really popular in the churches that I've planted. In fact, now when, there, when there's a Sunday when there is no my story or we haven't had anybody new or like like this week I'm thinking about this Sunday I'm thinking I said to Beverly my wife oh crumbs like I can't think of anybody that we haven't asked yet to do my story when there isn't my story people are kind of disappointed because it's become a real highlight of the morning so let me just throw that out to you as a kind of 
thought really in terms of yeah okay regularly testimony regular testimony is really powerful and particularly for people who are visiting particularly those who are not Christians to to listen to a story to listen to a testimony is always really powerful then, then we can have the notices and the offering again not too long notices you don't have to do that kind of long long 15 minute thing that I know a particular church that I've been working with say so they they allow 12 to 15 minutes for the notices please don't do that just make it short make use of the AV point people to the website if you've got a paper update point them to that you don't need to go through everything but the things that you do want to say the important things say with faith clarity and vision as for the offering take up the offering be unapologetic about it as an opportunity to cast vision as then Colin said in his paper earlier this month you might even want to set it in a biblical context this is what the Bible says about giving we're not making this up we're not just after your money either but it's a good way for us to worship God and then we come to the preaching the opening of the Word of God the speaker if you like for us as New Frontiers Church this is another really important element of the morning where typically a passage of scripture will be read. Um, generally, our style is expository preaching. So in other words, we, we would open the Bible. The uh, preacher would, would use his or her Bible and would open the Bible and, and will read from a passage of scripture and, and may give some clarity to the text. So let's make sure the preachers are, preachers are good. Preachers are articulate. Preachers are clear. Preachers know how to articulate. They know how to handle the word of God correctly they're able to use real life illustrations that bring application to the point and bring application to the word and they're able to pack a punch and they're able to bring things to a close as well and where necessary to elicit a clear kind of response if a clear response is required that that morning if not to leave people with clarity about what the response might be i can remember in the new frontiers what was some um, the early days of our training now it's called foundations here in the south of England I can remember being um, with, with Colin and uh, the person who was teaching us how to preach would, would say what's the one thing you want to say the one thing you want to say keep saying that one thing and however many pages of notes you have write that one thing on top of each page so that people know exactly what it is that you've been wanting to say so for us in New Frontiers Churching, the preaching of the Word of God is, is really important. When the church is small, of course, you have the opportunity of it being a little bit more interactive. You can, you can ask one or two questions, or even when you draw to a close, you can be brave enough to ask one or two kind of questions or, or responses from people in terms of what they've understood about what you've said. Once the church gets bigger and beyond a certain size, that becomes a little bit more difficult but you can create that intimate sense that family feel that we're on this journey together if you're not afraid to have one or two comments and one or two questions or even to ask one or two questions and wait for the verbal responses to come from the small congregation that you might have and then two other smaller elements but important elements that I just want to throw in as well in terms of our Sunday morning meetings is communion so make a decision how how regularly you want to have communion i know for colin in his paper which is really helpful he talks about having communion or sometimes they call it breaking of bread uh, the anglicans and the roman catholics and others might call it the eucharist 
Um, Colin and his churches would do that every week. I know that many New Frontiers churches do have communion every week. Some have it once a month on a Sunday and then have communion at other times in smaller contexts and small groups during the week or on Sunday evenings. But make a decision about how often you're going to have communion and make it a, a sacred time, a special time, a solemn time, but a joyous time, a profound time, a meaningful time for people as well. Um, I'm not sure if we've quite nailed that one, to be honest with you, here in Newry, but I'm trying different sorts of ways of having communion, people coming to the front or passing the bread and the, and the cup round, doing different kind of things. And uh, just try and think about for you how often you want to do communion and make that really special for people. You might also want to think in terms of what do you want to do in terms of prayer, making, making prayer special people what context do you want people to to pray in we want to teach people about prayer in case you haven't got this this is um, the November Christianity magazine it's really brilliant for all kinds of reasons and one of the reasons is it got the main article is about is Terry Virgo on prayer and it's really really stirring stuff so for Sunday mornings it's a great opportunity for us to model prayer, for us to pray about things, for us to teach people about prayer before the meeting, during the meeting, before the preach, after the preach, be very intentional about where you're going to pray and, and how you're going to pray about some of those things. And then I just want to finish up by talking about feedback and follow-up, because the feedback and the follow-up is also really, really important, how we feedback and how we follow up to people. One of the great things about Tim Simmons and his recent post was about welcome and follow-up and how welcome and follow-up are the key drivers in terms of church growth. And he was very good and animated when he was talking about welcome and talking about follow-up. And so for us, let's make sure that after the meeting, there are other meetings. So there's opportunities for us to follow up with the people who are who are visitors, for instance, however you best feel that's appropriate, whether that's personally or an email or a text or a letter. Thanks so much for coming. We, we really, really enjoyed you coming. Thank you for that. And, and feedback as well. Feedback to the teams, those who took part. Say, how, how do you feel it went? How, how to your worship leader? How, how do you feel it went to the person who was preaching? How, how do you feel it went? And then engage in a conversation for those who took part engage prophetically for instance how how do you feel it went and um, also feedback to the rest of your team to those who were uh, participating in different ways how, how do you think it went how can we improve for next Sunday so the feedback and the follow-up from the Sunday morning is is really 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 important so for me those are just kind of kind of broad brush if you like some of my thoughts about Sunday morning meetings let's let's soak our Sunday morning meetings in prayer let's um, be very expectant about our Sunday morning meetings let's be expectant for God to grow us let's be expectant for people to encounter God to really meet with him let's be expectant that people will worship him engage with God enjoy the preached word respond to him let's expect the Holy Spirit to be there let's expect God to do all that he wants to do and finally, let me just say this, relax. It's not up to you. Jesus is building his church.
The first question for you, Mark, uh, is because you've planted several times, uh, and a few things you've said, we did this every time we, we planted. Are there any things that you've started doing differently in the later plants to how you did them in the earlier ones? And, uh, and what things are there, what led you to, to do things differently? <laughs> That's a really good question. Thank you, Tom, and thank you to the person who asked the question. Um, to be honest with you, the first thing that I would say to that, and I'm being very honest here, the first thing that I've, I've done particularly differently moving to Newbury is engaging and releasing women into ministry and leadership uh, much quicker and much sooner. And I found that to be really, really beneficial, really, really helpful to me. To be perfectly honest, Tom, and to the person who asked the question, I, I was probably a bit slow to do that previously. And I'm sorry for that. Um, but I'm happy to say that right now having a, a broad and mixed leadership team and men and women sharing in ministry and leadership and public ministry has been fantastic. So I think that's probably... The biggest difference. The second thing I've learned in terms of what's different is I've also learned that um, I'm not sure how this is for you in Manchester, Tom, but but for me down here in the south of England to understand that different towns, different locations, and different contexts have a different culture, and understanding those different cultures and understanding those different different demographics. I found to be really important. So to study those even before going and to have a real sensitivity to those whilst present, I think is very important. Yeah, it's definitely the same for us up here in Manchester. You can just travel a mile in any direction and it's a totally different culture. So yeah, we see the same thing. And there's, there's a few questions just to set some kind of context for yourself and how you approach things. So um, when you started in Newbury, were you working full-time for the church or were you bivocational or how, how did you do that? That's a very good question. I was blessed in order to be launched out and be full-time to give my attention to planting the church when I left um, Camberley. Um, uh, they gave us some money, uh, as did... Um, commission which is one of the part of the family of churches and so I to be honest I stretched that out for as long as I possibly could <laughs> okay. so, so you had you had a bit of time how many people did you have with you when you first started your Sunday meetings um, so when we first came to Newbury it was um, it was the Landreth Smith family and two other families okay so they were just three families to begin with. Great. Um, and describe then the facility that you started in. So what, what was your first building that you, you did some of their meetings in? So um, to be honest with you, it was the very first, the very first time we met uh, was in um, the conservatory of one of those families. <laughs> so we met in the conservatory, which was, um, uh, which was fine to begin with and then we felt to move out of the conservatory when we were just a bit squished in the conservatory and we, we moved into a small rented community centre in the centre of town. So how, how long was that? I mean the conservatory was that months? Was it a year or two? How long were you in, in the home setting? So we were only in the home setting for um, 
uh, a matter of weeks and then I decided to, to take the kind of step of faith really in the leap into um, going to a rented facility. In fact, um, we're, we're now in, in our fifth or sixth different facility. Wow. So we, we have been, um, like many church plants, a bit nomadic really. Yes. Um, now there's someone who is in a home setting who's asking a question and they'd like to know what recommendations you've got particularly for conducting a meeting when you're starting in a home. So could you maybe speak into that for a little bit, like how, how you do that? Yes, I mean, I think for us, um, there, there's some great advantages of being in the home in terms of um, warmth and intimacy and friendship and um, being sensitive to one another, getting to know one another, which is a great kind of foundation, really, for building a church. And I think many of the principles that I've talked about, I think, can be incorporated in the home as well. So, for instance, when Colin said to me, Mark, spend your first year spending time in the Book of Acts, have plenty of coffee and pray. I think you can do that just as much in a, in a home as you can in a kind of rented facility. I think you can still worship effectively in a lounge. I, I look back to those early kind of meetings that we had in the conservatory of my friend's house and some of the worship times actually were just terrific. I think you get that sense of real intimacy, don't you? And of course the sound is great when you're just kind of squished into a conservatory as well, provided the neighbors don't mind, of course. <laughs> Yeah, great. Um, okay, so one of the things that um, kind of I'm thinking about, because we're, we're going Sundays uh, early in the new year uh, with our newest plant in Manchester, uh, and one of the things just on my head is when, you, when you've got a, a smallish number of people to start with in the room, you really want to create energy and buzz and, uh, and not make it feel like it's just a few of you rattling around. How do you get that vibe and that energy kind of in those early meetings? To be honest, it comes from you, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> I can remember I can remember Lawrence Cog, it was very funny, going to one of his conferences and being asked, So um, you know, how how does your church grow? And he said, looked straight ahead in all seriousness and said, Because of me. <laughs> <laughs> and I think uh, John Maxwell talks about the essential quality of the leader being what he calls the big mo mm -hmm. in terms of giving momentum. So I do think that the leader generates much of that inspiration, much of that passion, much of that momentum, much of that kind of excitement, much of that kind of faith, really. So I'm not being trite on when I say, how, how do you do that? I think some of it, most of it will come from you. A big dose of the Holy Spirit as well and um, people will find that contagious as well because some of these things are caught as Terry Virgo would say and yeah. not taught mm -hmm. and I think if you come with faith and expectancy and our friends who are leading church plants come with faith and expectancy then hopefully that will that will be like the match that catches the fire Tom yeah that's good that's very good so so you talked about having like a few weeks in in the home setting uh, yes. and then then you found uh, a building and went kind of more public did you do a kind of official launch or or did you kind of just kind of move in and carry on and, and if you did a launch what did you do yes i mean we were a bit unusual in that regard in that we didn't go for the big launch um i've also learned a lot from pete cornford down in redeemer ealing and I know one of his great strengths is leafleting. 
And uh, I think um, when I last spoke to him, him and his team, and it actually delivered 10,000 leaflets through the doors wow. of Ealing over a period of like, I think it was four months. So I think they were just extraordinary. But no, to be honest with you, Tom, I, I just went for it. I'm not suggesting that everybody should do what I did because I yeah. think there's great value and merit in what Steve and what Pete Cornford has done in terms of planning the launch, particularly when he went uh, the big step from home to one of the rooms in the town hall. Uh, I think he even, I think he even did um, uh, one or two um, billboards and one or two billboards on buses as well in order to generate hype and generate interest as well as um, uh, promoting it on their website, of course. So I think it depends a little bit on the personality, Tom, but in answer to your question about me, to be honest, no, um, I just decided let's go for it and let's see. And by that time we had got to know a few people. And so the word kind of spread by word of mouth. But to be honest with you, Tom, going into the rented facility at first, there weren't many of us and we were rattling around a bit. <laughs> so, so when you do that then, um, I guess there's like a, a choice to make with, do you do your meetings in a way that kind of embraces the fact that there's a small group of us, we know each other, we can be a bit almost like folksy, we can sing happy birthday when it's someone's birthday, we can do all of kind of the sort of stuff that you get away with with a small group uh, or do you go down the route of no we've got a uh, a desire to to be big let's project bigger let's try and be quite slick quite professional almost and how we do it do you, do you see the the choice that uh, that i'm describing yes what kind of advice do you have on navigating navigating that one yeah i mean i have to be very honest with you when, when i left camberley which um was was 400 at the time of leaving i would say that that was that was pretty slick operation because once you've got hundreds of people gathering um it needs to be slick it needs to be well organized um but when you've got 20 <laughs> let's be honest you can afford to have a bit more fun and one of the great, great pleasures of church planting is to have 20, 25 people and to have that lovely, intimate, unapologetic and a family sense where you can laugh at things together and get away with things, as you say, Tom, that to be honest with you, you just can't get away with when there's 250 in the room, but you can get away when there's just 25 of you. So I would say enjoy the moment. One, I also got, took some advice from... Um, one of the other great church planters in New Frontiers, Mr. Clifton Brown, who's now up there in Edinburgh. And he, he was just so helpful to me because I could, I was always kind of anticipating the next thing, Tom, or looking to the next thing or looking to grow or feeling that we weren't growing and feeling despondent about that. And he was very good with me saying, Mark, enjoy where you are. Enjoy the moment. Enjoy the pleasure of being small. Enjoy this lovely family feel because it won't last forever. Enjoy the fun that you're having now. And that was so kind of releasing and challenging at the same time, Tom. So I do think when you're small, you do have the luxury of being a family. In fact, somebody, <laughs> when I was first planting Camberley, Tom, somebody came from, let's just say, a larger, slicker New Frontiers <laughs> church. And I asked for their comments at the end of the meeting and they said, 
they looked at me a bit kind of worried and said, it's very raw here, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Uh, Within that, though, within, say, the the kind of small family community having fun, uh, I I suppose that gives a, a possibility of there'd be maybe like one or two people who um, can, are always vocal, who always have something to say, something to bring, becoming quite dominant in a way that in a, in a larger congregation it probably wouldn't seem quite as pronounced. Um, yes. How how do you handle that one? So what what do you do you do to keep that kind of in check? Yeah, that's a that's a really good question, and that and that's a real leadership call, Tom, isn't it? And for uh, for us as leaders to have the courage to confront that because there will be people particularly in a church plant who do come with their agenda or their ministry or their or their thing that, that they want to bring to you so for us starting off in Newbury we we did have a woman who who came with her thing and her favorite preacher and then handed out the book of this particular preacher and I thought I must study this book and I must study this particular preacher and as I did so I became very disquiet in my spirit some of it frankly was heretical so I had to speak to her and Beverly and I met her together we had a long lunch together talked about it talked about the book talked about my concerns and I asked her about that and and um lovingly tried to bring some challenge to that she to be honest with you Tom she was upset with me that day and never returned so I'm sad about that but to be honest with you we have to be able to lovingly confront those people so that they are aware of the other people in the room because we want to give other people opportunity but you're quite right to raise it Tom it's a very real issue and one for us as leaders we need not be afraid of confronting yeah. Okay. Well, the, the the next one we've been asked then is about okay, going back to the meetings in the home and that really kind of early stage. Uh, how do you get word out about it? So I presume that's to to maybe Christians who are looking for a church who are interested. Uh, and also then, what does evangelism look like in that kind of setting? So uh, maybe you could speak to both of those. Yeah. I mean, I think for both of them, to be honest with you, Tom, um, certainly here in. In Newbury I found both of them the key to those being relationship so I found what what I found very interesting was that the small group of people that we gathered they just seemed to know a lot of other Christians and me being new to the town I didn't know anybody but they knew lots of people and they told lots of people and invited lots of people and so without too much kind of advertising if you like the people who we were gathering brought their kind of friends or family and then they would tell their friends or family and so within um uh within a few months we we were able to to gather a good core of people just through word of mouth to be honest with you tom and similarly with um evangelism as well i i i felt particularly in that first year when we were just small in number two years ago that um people made friends or they brought unbelieving friends or brought unbelieving members of their family. So I remember one special, special morning where uh, a mother brought her, 
her, her daughter, who was an unmarried mother, she had been in um, a refuge. She was uh, a damaged, timid, uh, the beautiful young woman. And over the weeks to see her kind of change and for, then for her to yield her life to Christ. And then I'll never forget, Tom, the day that she said, I, I really want to thank you for Bridge Church Newbury Market has literally saved my life. Wow. So and good. moments like that, Tom, it's, mm -hmm. it's worth it, isn't it? Absolutely. It's worth it for a transformed life and the weeks and months of, it's just a few of us in the front room. <laughs> Are we making any difference? Is this church ever going to grow? Is anybody going to get saved? <laughs> and then sure enough, when you're small, a life transformed just makes it all worthwhile. Yes. Yeah. Um, we've got a couple of questions about kind of your rhythm through the year. So particularly yes. to do with like, uh, well, well, what the person asking the question calls low seasons. So times like maybe the summer when lots of people are on holiday or, yes. uh, I mean, for us, it'd be when all the students kind of disappear. Yeah. Out of yes. uh, but actually Christmas is another one that could be for a church plan, um, could be an opportunity, could be a bit of a challenge as well. Yeah. Um, what are some of the things that you kind of, have noticed and how, how do you do things in response to that? Wow, I think those are very real, those are very real challenges, Tom. I think the summer one is a, is a real one because I think we all feel that particularly for you, Tom, and for those of us in a, in a city situation or in a university or college place. I was talking to, um, I was talking to one of the church planters recently, he was in dismay over the summer because the, the, the kind of gathering had literally it was literally less than half over the summer holidays because the students have all got away and then happily in September you know everything's okay again because they've all come back and they've more than doubled in size <laughs> so the rhythms of church life are very um, are very important to, to recognize and um, the Christmas one the Christmas one is a real one as well. Here's my Christmas candle now. So the Christmas opportunity is a is a real missional opportunity. I just spilt the wax on my laptop. That's not good, yeah. really. <laughs> and the great thing about Christmas, Tom, is, isn't it, that people kind of expect to be invited to something at Christmas time, don't they? They kind of expect us to talk about Jesus and expect them to invite them to something although i have to be really honest with you that first christmas there weren't many of us and i had noticed that the anglican church did christmas really really well and so to be honest with you on christmas day we went there because they're really good at it and we were so small in number and i realized that there were a number of oh, a number of the uh, but there were only a small number of us and of that small number, a number were going away for Christmas as well. <laughs> so I just thought, you know what, let's just be honest about this. The Anglicans do Christmas really well. There's only a few of us. Why don't we go to the local Anglican church? And we enjoyed that. They enjoyed having us. And so I think don't feel the pressure at Christmas that you have to do the big shebang. I think it's great opportunity to invite the neighbors around and to get to know the neighbors and still to do something as a church plant. So for us, uh, we did do something, but that was more, much more informal. Beverly, my wife, went round to the neighbours and took them all Christmas cupcakes, individually packaged and wow. wrapped in boxes. 
And of course, they thought that was amazing. With an invitation to come round to our house for Christmas drinks. And um, the house was packed. I was really surprised. I was really worried because I didn't have enough mulled wine, which was another error on my <laughs> part, on mis miscalculating the culture, Tom, because the neighbor walked in and said, what's that smell? <laughs> He wanted to know where the tinnies were, not where the mulled wine was. So I thought, mm, note to self, understand my culture, take more attention to detail about my culture and my demographic. So I think Christmas is still a good opportunity, to, particularly a missional opportunity, to get to know people, get to know the neighbours, invite them around, Tom. Very good. Um, so in answering that one, you mentioned uh, Beverly, your, your wife. You said earlier that she was uh, kind of headed up your kids' work early on. Could you talk a bit about what your kids' work actually looked like in, the, in, say, the first year of your Sunday meetings? How many kids, what did they do, how many groups, or all of those like practical things? Uh, yes, I mean, to be honest with you, when we were small, Tom, we didn't have enough children to kind of have a children's ministry or the children to go out. But what Beverly did do was make sure that they had something to do or a worksheet what she actually produced was um what she called her worship sack so she made a worship sack for the children which had um a ribbon or a musical instrument or uh, a bell or a tiny symbol so they could engage in the worship and it would have a pen and it would have um uh, a coloring page that she made which would have something to do with the biblical passage or the story that day so that the children somehow felt they could engage because um, at, at that to be honest with you I think there were three I think there were three children <laughs> to start with um, but then over the months we did manage to to gather a few other children and then we had one children's group so Beverly looked after the one children's group which was a bit of a challenge because of course the spread of ages is quite wide isn't it Tom? Um, but this year I'm pleased to say that we've been able to have two children's groups so we have what we call bridge kids and we have what we call mini kids I'm, I'm praying that next year we'll have the three age groups and we'll have a creche and mini kids and bridge kids and youth so we'll actually have four um, we're not there yet, but in those early days, to be honest with you, when it was just a few uh, a few children, Beverly still wanted to help them feel engaged in the meeting and also take some of the pressure off the parents and to support the mums and dads as well. Good. Um, another area of the, the service, you talked about it a bit, was preaching. Uh, and one of the things that you said um, maybe that you do differently because it's a new church plan is you can ask questions, you can dialogue a bit. Yeah. Are there any other things that kind of would shape either the content or the style or uh, can, as you approach preaching differently in a church plant compared to a, a more established church? Yes, I mean, I think I think the one difference probably is the opportunity to ask questions and to get people to think for themselves and to respond mm -hmm. so um and i will still do that occasionally now as well tom so i might i might read the passage i might i might pause at a verse mm -hmm. or even in the midst of my preach before going on to my next point I'm, i might ask what do you think about that mm -hmm. or i might ask about a verse that i've read so 
what what strikes you about that verse or what do you think that verse means and then it's quite interesting there's that kind of moment of silence where people are wondering is this a is this a rhetorical question or is this a real question am i allowed to say what i really think and um, it's kind of fun as well to kind of um elicit that kind of response so i think for me to answer your question the main thing would be that's probably the main difference is the opportunity to to ask a question and to see what kind of response you get of course there's always a kind of risk in that as well but i think in a smaller context you can probably you know when you're in a home or when there's just 15 or 20 of you i think you can probably take that risk to ask a question of your small but burgeoning congregation that's good so a lot of people who listen to this won't have the same time opportunity uh, that you had uh, there'll be yeah. people who are yeah. either doing it part-time or maybe um, they've got a full-time job doing something else and it's kind of a side project for someone like that who's not got loads of time to prepare sermons yes. what advice would you give for keeping the standard high uh, but lowering how long it takes them to actually put together their preaching Yes, I mean, I would say it, it is about team. So as much as all the other stuff that you can to give away in terms of the mechanics of the meeting, the running of the meeting, the leading of the meeting. So in other words, you kind of clear your decks. So it's, it's a bit like Acts, isn't it, where we gave ourselves to the ministry of the word and to prayer and found other people to do those other things. That's the MLS version. And I think that um, as far as you can to, to give the other things away so that you can give yourself to the preaching of the word and you can give yourself to thinking about that passage. What does that passage mean? What am I going to bring from that passage? But it's also an opportunity to, to raise up others as well, because I know, I, I think in the first year, Tom, uh, I, so I, so I pre of the, of that first year, I preached 49 times. Wow. <laughs> and I, I, there was only, <laughs> so, so it was, um, and I realized at the end of that year, this can't go on <laughs> for my sake and the sake of the church. I'm, I'm bored of myself and I'm sure they're getting bored of me. And so I think quite soon, quite early on, identify those who can share the preaching responsibility so even if it means you can do so in my case I, I drop back to three out of four mm -hmm. so that even if there's one other person that you can say uh, could you could you do this so that so that again that gives you some slack gives you a bit more space gives you a bit more time that person who is bivocational or who is in, who's in the marketplace all the time trying to plant the church so that we can create some space here. and one of the ways that we create that space is finding someone else who you can train up and release and risk for them to preach as well yeah and this topic's actually caught a, a couple of people's attention there are more questions coming about it um but could you kind of talk through the process of then let's say you've kind of identified someone who you think they might be someone we could do this with how do you get from there to the point where they're actually up in the pulpit doing it what, what's your process of bringing someone through like that that's a very good question so so what i've done um i think i learned it again from colin was to um uh have a preaching school mm -hmm. so on a saturday morning 
have uh, bacon rolls with ketchup and tea, and to literally give give somebody 20 minutes. And so just a, a very small group of us, and um, to give them a 20-minute preach, and then for us to sit down and talk about it. You know, how, how did they find it? What did they think? What did the others in, in the room think? So before kind of um, unleashing them on the church plant, if you like, um, to give them an opportunity in a safe place with just a few guys around to, um, to have a go, to have a practice. And, and I, did find that, I did find that helpful in terms of gauging who had the potential to be a preacher. Although, to be honest with you, Tom, I've also taken the big risk. I, I took a big risk uh, two weeks ago. Somebody who I hadn't heard preach before, I thought, I think they could do it. On the way to church, Beverly said to me, are you sure about this person preaching? And I said to her, well, sometimes in a church plant, Bev, you've just got to take a risk. And I feel okay about this risk. And actually, he was really good. So I'm really glad. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, I'm thinking, Kevin, kind of light of what you're saying, and um, kind of going to Sunday. It's like, I, kind of the, the thought of taking on 49 sermons over the next year. Uh, I was like, wow, how would I do anything else? I mean, do you have you got thoughts on like maybe? Do you have guest preachers coming from other? churches or the places uh, and come and preach for you at all or, or or is that something you haven't done so much of yes and and that's a real key tom and that's really important thank you for pointing that out because to be honest with you, that first year i didn't invite um enough people to come and help i think we have placed a high value on apostolic ministry and um i can remember i can remember inviting somebody and he said yeah, I can come in 18 months' time. <laughs> so I thought, okay. So I put their date in the diary anyway and patiently waited for 18 months. <laughs> but I think, and I think people like Colin are really good at that, to be honest with you. People like Colin are really good at supporting church plants going around. I tell you who was also really helpful, which took me by surprise, was Terry Virgo. Mm. I invited Terry Virgo to come. I didn't think he'd come, and he came. And, of course, that was a real boost for me, a real boost for a small church plant that, wow, Terry and Wendy Virgo were in the house. And they stayed all day, preached in the morning, stayed for lunch, tea with the leaders afterwards, a Q&A into the evening. It was absolutely brilliant. Brilliant. So I do think it's very important. And I think, to be honest with you, Tom, it's something I still need to think about and I need to do more often is to keep inviting people. Great. Thank you. Um, well, we'll ask you kind of one more off the list of questions that's come in and then we'll, we'll look to wrap it up. So um, some church plants try to have a rotor of people who, who follow up guests and newcomers who come. Yeah. Uh, do you do it that way or do you have a different way of doing it? What's your kind of approach to um, organising for everyone to get followed up. That's really good and very pertinent because um, to be honest with you, Tom, up until this moment, it's been me. <laughs> <laughs> and I've just, um, just this month, just this month, I've um, handed over responsibility of the welcome and follow-up to somebody else who is outstanding. And to be honest with you, 
she is better at it than me by far and so um so now i have uh, a fantastic woman called gillian who is in charge of the welcome and who now she she lets me know so this is a very new thing it's only only this month like i say but she will send me a text later in the day to tell me the names of the visitors one or two salient points about them she is the one now who ensures that those visitors uh, meet somebody from the church who lives near them and or the small group leader who lives near them and if it's appropriate sometimes it is sometimes it isn't some people like to be anonymous tom as we know some people are happy to give their information so sometimes she will take their contact details and then she will follow them up in the week to say how nice it was to meet them is there anything we can help with and we hope to see you again well thank you for listening we hope you enjoyed this episode and just a reminder you can find the full notes on everything that mark said at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org episode 95 see you next time